how do you insert human skills training into your coaching? How, how does that how does that work? Yeah, well, <laughs> I saw like, <laughs> like, I think it is we don't really insert. No, it's, it's more what we do it's every golf. day. It's like golf for us. Like it's you're golf. a human being playing golf yeah. on the golf course. So Pia said this, you know, I, I think she posted it recently on social media. You've just got to learn to deal with yourself. Like, <laughs> like yeah. you can't you can't escape yourself when you're on the golf course. No, and yeah. that, that's why you know often now when we talk about this, for us it's so integrated. We can't see a golfer without seeing both the technique and the mm. and what we call it with the human yeah, skill, and it shows up in one of four areas on the golf course. It's what you do before the shot, what we call the think box. It's what you do during the shot, what we call the play box. It's what you do after the shot, what we call the mental mm -hmm. box and what to do between shots. So I think, I think we had done this. So we, we just see golfers and, yeah, yeah. and that that's what we like to say now. It's not technical skills plus human skills that decide how well you play. It's technical skills times human skills. And, yeah. And for the future of the game for everybody, we just think they need to grow together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Urban Golf Podcast. We have a special episode today with Lynn Marriott and Pia Nielsen of Vision 54. These are two giants in the golf coaching world. They have coached nine different major winners, four different world number ones, and they've really set the bar on how to coach golf at the highest level, but also for real golfers, any golfer. And their backgrounds are really extensive. Their resumes are multiple pages. And I'll start with Pia. So Pia is from Sweden, and she grew up playing on the Swedish national team. She ended up playing at Arizona State University. She went from there to play uh, on the LPG Tour. She ended up being a captain for, for the Solheim Cup, European Solheim Cup team. And she's, she's done it all as a player and then started coaching in the late 90s and created Vision 54 with Lynn. And Vision 54 is, is, is simple. They felt like one day one golfer will shoot 54, making a birdie on every single hole. And, and that's the vision that has driven them forward. And Lynn has a background in playing as well. She played at Penn State. She's a part of the Arizona Golf Hall of Fame. They're both internationally recognized as, as one of the top coaches in the world. And they're just really, really awesome human beings. And their values and what they coach and teach is just incredible because it covers everything that you need to play golf happy and play good golf. They cover the technical piece, but also focus a lot on what it was. What does it take to to play and perform at your potential anytime? And so they've done really extensive work in this area. They've published multiple books, you know, and some of the biggest students I've had, you know, obviously started with Annika, who uh, ended up shooting fifty nine. And Russell Knox, who also went on and, and shot 59. And these world number ones, these major winners, will go to P 
Pia and Lynn in, in, at their school in, in uh, Arizona, and they will go through uh, a school with regular golfers. And that's where I think it's really cool because it's very much in line with UGP. We also have tour players next to complete beginners. It doesn't matter the level of golfer you are at Vision 54. And it makes it a really cool environment. And it was a pleasure to learn from them because they have so much experience. And me and Mac are really excited to continue to learn from them. We're going to go out there to Arizona and we're going to get involved in the program. So hope you guys enjoy. These are two of the best coaches in the world looking at the game in the right way, according to us. And uh, they're making a big difference. So hope you enjoy. Well, P and Lynn, it's a pleasure to have you guys on the podcast. And I didn't, I didn't plan this, but it happens so that today, twenty years ago, Annika shot fifty nine. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that on the <laughs> without planning. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it makes sense to start there, I guess. Yeah. You know, I know that you guys talked about Vision 54 very a long time ago when Annika was in her early 20s. Is that right? Can you talk a little bit about kind of the work you did with Annika and, and how that led to her 59? Yeah. So in my earlier life, I was head coach for our national teams in Sweden. And then Annika was the first team I ever coached. Annika was on the team. So from from junior age on, I've been able to be on her support team. But what happened was because I played on the LPJ tour and been in the US a lot. So when I came back to Sweden, I was struck by that there's so much talent there, but they, they had such different attitude, like, you know, we can never be as good as the Americans or a short camp can never be as good as the Southern Europeans. And they always had all these excuses. So mm. being more Americanized, uh, and a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, Shelly and Hager, we were talking, we said, you know, most of them made birdies at the home course at, at each one of the holes at one time or another. So how about we start talking about it out of 18 birdies is 54 out of like 54. They have done it, not during the same round, but they have done it. So what would it take for someone in the future to ever be able to put it all together? Like the possibilities of that and who do you want to be? what do you need to know how do you need to swing who do us as coaches how do we need to operate for to access the 54 of the players so it's one of the best things we ever did and for a long time the people around us thought we were really crazy but we didn't care because that's just the possibility we saw mm-hmm. but then when lynn and i started working together like at the end of the 90s we actually called our company coaching for the future but Everybody recognized me for the 54 and Lynn for always looking at possibilities. So we decided to change to Vision 54. But Annika had the 54 head cover ever since she heard about that vision. So, Mm. of course, I know it influenced her greatly. And actually, I was fortunate to be there when she shot the 59. And when she walked off the green, she had like a 12-footer 58 just slipped out. First thing she said, Pia, I know now it's even more possible to shoot 54 because she knew she got in her own way after starting with eight birdies in a row. So, yeah. yeah. So you were there watching it happen? Yeah. 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 Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> and, and do you look at that vision as a, 
attack is the best defense in a way or is it a, does it have a different meaning to you guys just because it's a very positive mindset right and very you know positive mindset on the course i think it's two and the one is just that we believe that the human capacity is still so untapped so it is the bigger what we think actually potential of us as humans to develop but the bigger meaning for golf in general is that it's well, something yeah. else and Pia yeah. mentioned it but it's just that whether it's a new golfer or what we call a real golfer meaning the recreational golfer not the outlier that's a tour player that they look at possibilities so to your point leo it is a mindset of looking at possibilities in your game whereas most golfers because of lots of reasons tend to look at the things that are all wrong with their game you know, like what's wrong with my swing? <laughs> what's wrong with this, that, and so forth? And, yeah. and so it's it's a mindset of looking at possibilities and and staying focused on that because it's a skill. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. mindset that then needs to actually be a skill. Yeah. So the the metaphor of it is obviously the most important thing. Even though we do think sometime in the his the future of the history of humankind, someone is going to shoot fifty four lower. I mean, we yeah. we coached a young lady this weekend who played at UCLA, mm -hmm. and she's now in the LPGA. She's had a sixty one. She was on the fifty nine watch. That's Patty Tavatonicet, mm -hmm. and we've coached Russell Knox, who shot fifty nine on the PGA Tour. Or we, yeah. we coached Russell Knox. So, yeah. Yeah. but it's not a fifty four yet. <laughs> well, I, th I mean, it's that kind of internal governor that we seem to have in our psyche, right? Where, you know, whether it's breaking 80 or breaking 90 or, or breaking even par, yeah. if we're a couple under, for, for some reason, we kind of tend to gravitate towards what's comfortable. Can, yeah. Is that is is there any research on that? What what is that? What is that actually? What is that? I guess. <laughs> no, but you, well, then you yeah. often have the expression: you can't achieve what you can't perceive. Well, it. yeah, or or more specifically, like you can't achieve something your nervous system isn't prepared for. Mm. So, like when Bannister broke the four-minute mile, he actually freaked out after that. His nervous system wasn't prepared for it. I mean, he did it. Mm but he wasn't yeah. prepared for it. And I think a lot of people, you know, like 58, ah, that's good enough for 59. That's definitely good enough, but 54, like the nervous system isn't prepared yet for that success. Yeah. Cause it has a lot of implications, <laughs> you yeah. know, good and bad that you have to deal with. So, you know, now take it to the real golfer. That's like breaking 90 for the first time. Like we had, a, I'll just say we had a lady that attended our golf school last weekend. 25 handicap. She's actually a 10 masquerading as a 25. I mean, she was like really, yeah. truly a 10 handicap, but she's so uncomfortable with all the things that go with that at the club. Yeah. She wasn't sure that the lower handicap ladies had fun playing golf. So she was like concerned about being that good and not having fun. So, you know, so yeah. that sets limitations, yeah. you know, and yeah. obviously come across it so many times and that happened actually with you know Annika as a junior because she she never won any big junior tournaments ever in Sweden or in Europe and she actually you know had a hard time sometimes you know getting recruited getting into places because her record didn't show her to be a champion so oh. but I we, I recognized early on as she shared it she was so fearful of giving a victory speech so that's like an example of having having a limiting belief that I'm too scared to give a victory speech. I'd rather 
three putts subconsciously or hit it out of bounds to finish second. So it's a good tournament, but I don't have to do it. So that's yeah. how the mind works. Sometimes we have this like it just stops me because it's not it's too scary to do the consequence of winning. Yeah. And I kind of had the same for a while too, so I recognized it. But we and then when we started doing more fun training about giving a speech and talking in public, I mean it took like a couple of months and she started winning. So it wasn't about the yeah. level wasn't there. It was yeah. just something inside that was like saying it's not okay. And then very often things don't happen. So we've just seen it happening so often in golf. So the 54 and believing in that for us has never hurt us. It's only helped us to, to be curious and look at what's possible and find a solution. And it's not like we're disappointed not doing it, but it helps us be more creative and yeah. always stay stay curious and open and not stuck yeah yeah kind of unveiling the potential yes yeah. 100 and it's 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 creating a path for the future yeah. you know generations to come as well yes right. i you know i was so because i know you all work with colin Morikawa. i was looking at his record and he didn't win any junior events either a big i don't think he didn't he didn't win any AJGA events. Yeah. Exactly. And I yeah. thought that was fascinating. I'm like, oh, there's Annika. <laughs> and then there's Colin. Like they have, you know, different but similar paths in yeah. how they're approaching yeah. performance. Yeah, I think, you know, him and uh, Rick Sessinghouse, who's, who's his coach, who's worked with him since he was a kid, they always had a very long-term perspective. So they were not thinking about how to perform in four weeks, but rather always about what are the next four years look like. Yeah, right. And so there was never this, which is pretty common, I think, in junior golf is, hey, I need to play well in the oh. Toyota Tour Cup, oh, you know, yeah. in a month. Yeah. But, but you know, we play golf our whole life pretty much. Yeah. And so, so I think that's what I've seen work really well when a coach and a player are on the same page thinking about, okay, how are we going to develop for the future yep. and talk about years instead of months? Yeah, that's really good. I just have to tell a story about that. When we started coaching Suzanne Pedersen, she was coming off an injury and it was suggested that she come and get coaching. So she actually came and attended our golf school. But I remember when she came, she's like, you know, I don't know. It's just been so bad. Like I haven't won. And you know, I'm 24. I think I'm washed up. I'm like, what? <laughs> and we're like, you're 24. But she had like that, you know, she'd been a great star in Norway yeah. and so forth. And uh, junior star. And anyway, it was interesting because that year we started coaching her and she started learning more skills she needed for her game. Mm -hmm. Then the next year she won seven times. Wow. Yeah. Two on the LAT, five on the LPGA, won a major and went to number two in the world. Yeah. <laughs> went from I'm all washed up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a little short-term thinking yeah. to okay that's what I find sometimes it's harder for the ones that have early super success than, than those that can just like yeah exactly because they they might not have to work as hard potentially early on or or they get used to success and so when they have some adversity they they don't respond well to not winning they, they yeah, become exactly from carol dweck's strict mindset thing that it, that happens and they usually have to deal with being in the first maybe dips of their careers with getting public opinion all the time on top of that yeah yeah, yeah. one of the favorite things that i hear you say is 
you can't play golf without yourself. <laughs> and you know, I think it's such a great sentence that everybody can learn from. You know, and I, I, you, you talk a lot about human skills. How do you get people to, you know, listen to your guys? Because it is not the, the not the sexy, not the you know, it's kind of the intangible stuff that actually matters in this game. That's why I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Right. How do you get people to buy into that? Because we work with golfers all the time, and we're one of these, you know. We have all the tech, we have all the numbers, we have all the data, but our coaching is very simple and if we try to keep it as efficient as possible, how do you get someone that cares about how their golf swing looks and cares about their, their the outcome a lot, how do you get them to buy into, hey, let's talk about human skills and let's talk about how to work on yourself? Well, we it mean two things and it's taken as many years of experimenting and exploring but the big thing has been our ability to communicate and our ability to give them a, a, a different choice of view of the game and view of performance so it mm -hmm. all came back to us that we must be better at with storytelling with sharing you know different paradigm of the game mm -hmm. and then the second piece is when we we take we are with them on the golf course because they can't hide them there and when yeah, they yeah. realize something of what we do actually helps them hit the ball better and getting more more outcome then we have somewhere to go so we need to prove our stuff by how we talk and that we bring them on the course where all of this is going to show up how good their technique and the human skills are yeah, yeah. but I, I would add that I think initially a lot of people would come to us because it was their last resort. Yeah. So now yeah. we're more like doing interventions yeah. instead of doing foundational work. Like yeah. we're, and P and I are really inspired to uh, make this paradigm shift available for everybody, for new golfers, you know, but we need enough coaches and instructors that don't just hang out behind the technology and yeah. don't deal with the human being that that's there yeah you know yeah so i mean the technology is awesome but you got to deal with the human being that's there yeah. yeah and that as you said like then that human being has to want to look at themselves like yeah, yeah you know, right. I, I am nervous on the first tee, yeah. Or, yeah. or whatever it may yeah. be right. and we have you know lately just like okay we, we can just start with three yes or no answers and depending on how they answer those we know if we can move forward and they're really simple we just ask them is golf played on the golf course yeah and so mm. far everybody says yes okay mm. now we ask is golf played by a human being and so far everybody says yes then we go are yeah. you a human being and they go oh yes okay and then the third one is is then this game on the course play, played by human is it variable and everybody says yes so then the question is if those things are all true do you or we have the skills needed to be able to manage the course the human variability and so we we just found many more easy way to get to it yeah because we can't like what you call exit them tell me oh, human skills are great you need to learn them it's not going to work we need yeah. to get them to reflect and wanting it but yeah. giving them a different view of the game and like lynn said that's why in the future the more teachers and coaches who can like talk about the game a little differently it's going to make it even easier to move forward with this yeah yeah that's such a great answer because 
you know, becoming a great coach takes, you know, decades and, and, and it really comes back to communication. And that, I think that w- makes it even more impressive what you guys have done because you have truly gotten through and you have tour players that are coming to your golf seminars and schools with a set 20 handicap yeah. right next to them. Yeah, yeah. And, that, that, yeah. and that, that's so cool. And it's very much in line what we do. We have Colin Morikawa, you know, on, on, on one side of the gym and then we have a complete beginner mm-hmm. right there next to them. Mm-hmm. And so there's no... You know, golf is golf to us, whether you're just getting started or, or if you're an elite player. I asked one of our, one of our players here who, who went and saw you guys recently, and, and she, she played for UCLA. She was a world number one amateur, and, and she had a rough start on her professional career, and, and she had a kind of a negative mindset. And I just how, how was it? And, you know, what was so cool when she responded was, not only did I, you know, leave with a much more, with a completely different perspective on golf, but, but on life. <laughs> and she, she was so excited about golf again. How do you insert human skills training into your coaching? How, how, does, that, how does that work? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, so, like, like, I think it, it, we don't really insert. No. It's more it's, what we do it's every golf. day. It's like golf for us. Like it's you're golf. a human being playing golf yeah. on the golf course. So Pia said this, you know, and I think she posted it recently on social media. You've just got to learn to deal with yourself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. you can't, you can't escape yourself when you're on the golf course. No, and yeah. that, that's why, you know, often now when we, talk about this for us it's so integrated we can't see a golfer without seeing both the technique and the mm. and what we call it with the human yes, skill yes. and it shows up in one of four areas on the golf course it's what you do before the shot what we call the think box it's what you do during the shot what we call the play box it's what you do after the shot what we call the mental mm-hmm. box and what you do between shots so i think i think we had done this so we we just see golfers and, yeah, yeah. and that, that's what we like to say now. It's not technical skills plus human skills that decide how well you play. It's technical skills times human skills. And, yeah. and for the future of the game for everybody, we just think they need to grow together. So yeah. I don't think we, we, we don't know how not to do them together when we coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that says it all, but, but I think uh, it's very rare in coaching so far so far that we hope the future like we hope 20 years ago we're not having or 20 years from now we're not having the same conversation and that that's right hasn't like well because the uh, the thing we you know yeah we 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 have done teacher coach training for many many years and just started a new remote version of it but what what we want to get the hold of that the opportunity for all of us teachers and coaches is enormous when you expand that base and mm-hmm. it doesn't take away anything we learn technically or technology. It's great, but that but that, that is human being that has a body and has a mind and has an emotion. It's not going to go out of fashion. You know, it's never not going to be important. <laughs> it's actually yeah. never not going to be true. No, it's always going to be there. So who? The, That's right. So if it's players or coaches, the ones who are going to be at the front line in the future, the ones that you know do both of them because it's never not going to be important <laughs> yeah and it, and i'm sure it's very intimate because you're you're looking at the person you're coaching the person not their golf swing and that 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 can be tricky like you're saying i mean because 
it's almost like you're you're your golf therapists and 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 sometimes that includes like questioning their intentions or questioning their mindset right is that is do you see that a lot well yeah absolutely but it you know you know a very gentle supportive way because like you know i was thinking when you asked earlier about the young lady that came for coaching we also have players whether they're new golfers or they've been in the game for a while or elite performers you know we ask them to look at their spirit of the game why are you playing golf? I mean, for God's sakes, like, no, seriously, they, why do you spend time, money, energy doing this thing? That's right. And so, and it's not for us to tell you why you should play or why, you know, why we think it's great, but you Mm -hmm. know, you need to actually look into that Mm because without that intrinsic motivation, you Mm. know, you're eventually going to leave the game. We we just had, you know, last night to talk with a player who is really, really, really good, but the motivation hasn't been there for very many different reasons. And she finally Mm. said the words, so we can't say it for her. I'm actually ready to play really good golf again. And we're like, (laughs) whoa, (laughs) we've been, I mean, that's music to a coach's ears, but but it needs to, you can't force it. You know, we can do things and help them move along and figure things out, but it's, is to, but to, to your point there, I mean, one of the foundational beliefs for us to in our coaching that we, we want to help the player to take more ownership of the games and their lives and anything they do. So, and our biggest joy is that we coach ourselves out of a job. And that's why we say we have a harbor instead of a stable. We have a harbor. We want them to sail out in the open sea in any weather and know how to manage. Yeah. But if need, yeah. they know which harbor they can come back to. But with the ownership thing and that's why we also through trial and error through all these years of doing it that we we many don't they don't think they can manage themselves or coach themselves on the golf course so we we do so much more self-exploration exercises Mm. we keep our mouth shut till they can say i did it i didn't do it to scale one to five or whatever that we set up exercises they learn to be more self-aware and self-regulating yeah, and and we we know we need to do by doing that more and more and more and more. Then we feel they soon they they soon own they own it more, and they actually we don't have to be golf therapists. They are self coaching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it has been very very important for us. It may have taken us years, and we're happy now. We're at the stage where we can share all of that with coaches so much more that that's taking us some time to figure out. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that because the intrinsic motivation, like you say, in, in our assessment process at UGP, you know, there's some things that that has to happen. And we ask, why do you play golf? And and they usually go, well, you know, I like golf, but they've never thought about it in their whole life. Right. And then you get deeper into that. You maybe ask some follow up question. And then the next question is, why do you want to get better? Yep. Yep. And they go, well, I want to. I want to get better. And they, they, they've never thought about it. And so, and they come out of the assessment. They're like, that was the most amazing, you know, thing I've experienced yeah. because we actually care about the person and, and why they they're here. And, and that's, you know, that makes them really think, and then they can go, well, I w- actually, I do want to learn the game because I want to be able to play with my grandpa before he passes or, you know, and then, golf becomes a completely different thing for them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And 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 that's what's so cool and and um I really hope that 
these th this coaching becomes more and more more popular because it, I mean we see so many clients right and a lot of people struggle with golf like it's a it's a very it can be a very frustrating thing you know regardless of level right oh, yeah. if someone wants to break 80 yeah. or 100 yeah it's it's a sport that creates a lot of emotion and and people will quit the game yeah yeah, yeah. And and so that's where this is. I want everybody listening to go go out and do a golf school with <laughs> with you guys at Talking Stick or, because or can you start by reading a book <laughs> and yeah. do the exercises? Yeah. I just that's how passionate I uh, and we are here yeah. about it. Like we, it doesn't matter how, but just to to save people from from the agony of of not enjoying the game, right? And we, you we know, have, yeah, Leo, we have a saying that. Well, it's just internally within all of us at Vision 54, but when a player comes and they're kind of on that cusp of, yeah. I don't know why I play, and then they find the reason, the joy, like playing with my grandpa, and we go, we saved another one. <laughs> like they're going to stay in the game. Yeah. And that's yeah. like us so joyful. Like it's, yeah. in some ways, that has more meaning to us than a player winning a major. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about that a lot because, you know, we have the, the PT and, and fitness aspect as well. So when someone has had a back surgery and hasn't played for two years, and then after a couple of months with us, they're able to play golf again and they're 73, like that's what we live for. Yeah. You know, because adding 10 years of, of their golf life with their family or whatever is it's just incredible. It's yeah. a it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. So yeah. I want to go into the, the 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 memory box. I think that's a really interesting one. I remember my coach in, when I grew up, he in Swedish it's he asso disa, <laughs> and so basically the 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 idea is to you associate know, with good came, shots. Those came from when we, I was uh, head coach. <laughs> yeah, as it came from you, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So associate with the good shots and disassociate with the bad shots, <laughs> and I always remember that. But I also remember that if you hit a bad shot and and yell and scream and throw your club, you actually associate with the bad. And and that that could you know be saved in our memories so that you know that actually has a negative effect. How you know and so I think this is you know a big room for improvement for all golfers yeah. <laughs> in the memory box. Um, <laughs> it sure is. Actually, you know, the juniors we very often start with this skill. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're actually all new golfers. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. a couple of years ago I had a big group of Chinese juniors come over. And it was by far, we said, we're going to spend the whole first morning on memory box because mm -hmm. part of it was their culture, too. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we had yeah. to. Yeah. Good. So what's your question about it? <laughs> so I want to I want to if, if you flip them, right, if uh -huh. you associate with a bad shot, what happens in the brain and and, you know, what what's negative about that? Is, is it does that, you know, myelin sheets and, you know, is it is it now encouraging you to hit bad shots if you associate with the bad all the time. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, quite simply, you know, we, we could go into a long explanation of this, but quite simply, it's just that emotion is what makes a memory stick. Mm. So that that's all it is. And so whether that emotion is positive or negative. Mm. And so, you know, every golfer, once the ball is headed to its destination, like from A to B, they have an emotional experience about that. Yeah. And so, you know, just going back to, so then as you put those emotions, they get stored in the brain, they get stored in a place called the amygdala. 
Yeah. But so. the, the thing is, like Lynn said, so any emotion, positive or negative, makes it get stick. And that's why we wouldn't be surviving without it. It's why a child putting their hand on the hot stove and start crying. That makes me, then the more you cry, the more I store the memory. So next time I get to hot stove, I'm going to back away. So it's mm. for survival, we, we have this beautiful function in, in the human brain and everybody does, but the brain doesn't yeah. know the difference between a hot stove and a three foot putt. Mm. And, and we also know through a lot of the, the research, Barbara Fredericks and others that they know that the, our brain has a, a default of a negativity bias, meaning we store the negative things faster and stronger than the positive. So when it comes to golf, then we know most golfers come in after the round and let's say they've hit three really good drives and three bad drives. And we yeah. ask them, which ones do you usually talk about after the round? Yeah, the bad ones. Yeah, because they get stored strongly. And what happens is if mm. I if I miss my drives and I'm like, oh, I just keep telling like Leo, I couldn't believe it. I had a good run going and then I duck hooked my drive on 18 and I did the same two weeks ago and I keep talking about it and re-experiencing it gets yeah. stored strong. So what happens is next time I have a drive in similar situation, that memory is going to pop up, which That's makes right. me mind me feel tight and heart start be beating. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's working as if protecting me to back off from a stove. That's right. Yeah. Right. So when we know golfer traditionally, they all around the world have an easier time if shot isn't perfect, they get some degree of displeased. <laughs> Yeah, externally yeah. or internally it doesn't matter so they put glue and sticky on that memory and when they hit good shots golfers in general say oh that was good and they put the club back so they're more objective like mm -hmm. more factual they might say oh that was good and so many in golf have created habit of spending more emotions on bad shots than possible than good shots which means they are they have too many shots they get up to where they get a no signal instead of a go signal yeah, yeah. So this is why this is so incredibly important for us because you can beat yeah. many shots in golf that isn't to your liking, but how can you be more objective and maybe draw some learning, but keep more neutral with emotion? But when they are great, good, or good enough, have some degree of being pleased about it. And we just know over the years those players start ending up feeling more and more confident, and yeah. everything they're working on, it's the game becomes more fun. And they have more confidence stepping into future similar shots. Yeah, it's a, yeah. A, a funny story because I mentioned her earlier was Suzanne Pedersen. So when she came for coaching and she learned this, like a little bit of the brain science yeah. and how the mm -hmm. brain is always there trying to help you survive, mm -hmm. and this is why it does this thing. Mm -hmm. She said she raised her hand. She said, "Hey, Pia, what should I do? I've never stored anything positive in my entire life." And I said, I know, I've seen that. <laughs> but she, it's the first time ever, because when it was just about etiquette for her, it didn't mean so much. But when she realized it had to do with pure ball striking and performance, she got like, how long time yeah. is it going to change to change this habit? You know, yeah. Yeah. she got yeah. really into it. So, so, but once again, it's taken for us. We used to call it storage of memory. Many people like, you know, they heard it, but they didn't connect with it. They only connected with Thinkbox Playbox. But the last... You know, some years when we say there are three phases to shot before, during, and after, we put those three phases together and we named it memory box instead. It just yeah. has come so much more alive that people understand that the performance routine includes all of those. Yeah. And how, and making once again the, the memory box more 
we have more exercises, more things to check out. So the player can actually experience like, wow, this is really helping me. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to add, Leo, because you, you alluded to it, is that it's a really important skill of golf. So, I mean, we think every golfer who plays on the planet needs to learn this skill. <laughs> and the reason why is if you leave it unattended to, so you don't do anything with your post-shot reactions, okay, yeah. these emotional reactions. By design, the brain's designed by this negativity bias that is hardwired into the brain. It's going negative. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not because like golfers are extra grumpy or, <laughs> yeah. you know, or just that, you know, whatever. I used to think it was a behavioral thing. It's not a behavioral thing. It's a biological thing. Yeah. Left unattended people, golfers eventually are going to have a lot of bad memories. And yeah. then those and memories that- are going to affect how they perform, how they enjoy the game yeah. and, and, you know, I mean, left really unattended, it can be the neurocircuitry of the yips, right. one one origin of the yips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, because maybe is that because of a survival? I mean, we're, we're basically we're going to like you said, if we, you know, put our hand on the stove, yeah. uh, we're always going to bias towards surviving and, yeah, and, and if any danger or negativity. Yeah. You know, we have to react very strongly yeah. to the reason why I bring it up is because, I mean, I think this is so common for every golfer is to when they hit a great shot, it's it, their their you know their physical expression is oh that's how it's supposed to be exactly yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah and, exactly. So, you know yeah and, and you, what, they just what miss it I know <laughs> and of course you know it's a very cultural thing too you know some of us come from from cultures where you you know you're not supposed to. <laughs> that's right happiness with that and uh, yeah and but you know if we us from more northern european countries or many of the asian countries but we we when they understand that you you don't have to fist pump and jump around it it's but you need to learn to inwardly be pleased and uh, grateful or happy yeah. what you did and and as long as those emotions you actually feel them inside so when we have them learn that they can do it in extroverted ways or introverted ways, it's more comfortable for more golf. Yeah, yeah. What's one way that you can get someone that doesn't want to fist pump and celebrate on on the first hole at their club? What you know? What are some ways that they can that they can celebrate inwards? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can just smile inwardly with your eyes and your mouth. You mm-hmm. know, just so it's like you turn the face inside out and you smile inwardly. You could say to yourself. It doesn't have to be out loud like that was really awesome. But you see yeah. it in such a way that you have you feel it. You don't just use the words. So mm-hmm. it, it, you need to have actually the emotion. So whatever it is that they might say to themselves internally, it needs to evoke like a feeling. So we often you know, so we often ask them that when they do something good, we ask them for like how does it feel for you? And some might say, well, I feel it in my stomach. Like, I just feel this, like, light, easy feeling in my stomach. Someone else might say, I just feel like my heart starts beaming. So we, we ask them, like Lynn said, too, that, like, how do they in the body and emotion experiences? And then we help them attach it to that. So we don't, like, mm. tell them what we think we should they should do. Yeah, yeah. But they need to get a hold of something that that's what it is for, like, them. And they need to give it a little spark of more attention after a good or good enough shot. 
Yeah. It, it may be at the beginning, if they've never done this, that emotive level levels at a one, but then like a dial, let's get it up to a two, let's mm -hmm. get it up to a three, but in your own way, of course, yeah. where you, but, but it needs to, you need to actually be able to feel it. Yeah. 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 Not just say it like, oh, that was good. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the brain didn't do any sticky there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, gratitude, I think, and, you know, we have core values here at UGP and one of them is gratitude. And, and I think that's something that that comes up and, you know, with, with any player is, is, you know, are you grateful to be out in nature and playing a, a pretty cool game? And, and I think we maybe not think about that enough. It's, you know, and I, I feel like a lot of people do when, when, because, because it's our core value, we affect, we, we, we try and influence our clients, right? We try and influence our players to, you know, to not be frustrated after playing a beautiful golf course on a Wednesday, we kind of call them out and actually try to get them towards gratitude because it's not a, you know, at the end of the world having a bad day on the golf course and to, to try and, and now when there's so much research on, on the practice of gratitude, mm -hmm. is that a, a focus of yours? You know, because it's, it's shown to, to be very important when it comes to happiness in general. You know, how do you practice gratitude and do you do it with the players? Well, yeah, yes. I mean, it's it's one of our core values as well. And then it's to take it from a concept and actually be active with it. So, you know, there's there's a journal out there that we really like where the first thing you do is you write down three things that you're grateful for in the morning then set yep. your intentions. And then at the end of the day is to reflect on three things that you're grateful for. Yep. But it needs to be very, very active. You yep. need. Because again, it's kind of like talking about the memory box. If you're not proactive and active with gratitude, the brain's going to slip back to this negativity bias. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mm. And what helped us with many once again is like uh, to get them to understand the science. And we're so much easier today than 30, 20, 30 years ago that right. we know so much more about performance science, neuroscience, and all of that. And so it's, it was 23 years ago, the first time we went to the Institute of Heart Math and started learning and that's where mm. we first learn more the science of the positive emotions so mm. from there we've been able to you know, ever since then incorporate it but learn the science behind when you, the positive emotions how that affects access to our brain and when the players realize that i want access to my brain so i can i can read past i want access to my whole brain to be coordinated i want access to my whole brain for perspective i want access to my whole brain for gazillion reasons that affects my golf game <laughs> and yeah. on top of performance then so many more get so interested so so gratitude is obviously one of the strongest one of the positive spectrum but mm. then and very many and we as a team really want all our coaches every morning to have part of the habit to come to coaching with that inside of them mm. uh, but get the, the players to learn that but but then it can be you know arranged some might just like more just peacefulness or some you know they can be versions of it but understanding that the spectrum of positive emotion it doesn't only create a good environment it affects the whole human system mm. and then it becomes even more important so yes it's very very important and we've been focusing on it for a while <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, yeah exactly that it's a, a performance enhancer 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, but then to show the science and for people to understand the science of that. And then, you know, we use the inner balance app from the Institute of Heart Math, but there's others out there too. It's just where people get feedback. Are they actually experiencing this gratitude? Are they actually mm. experiencing yeah. this positive emotion? And again, yeah. I'm going to use Suzanne Pedersen as an example, because this is the third one. But so she was given this device to do some self-coaching. Okay, mm. could she actually experience positive emotions? And then she would get feedback on this device. And at first she was like, she couldn't do it at all. But it's because it was a skill. You know, she just hadn't done it. So as she yeah, started yeah. doing it more and more, she was getting feedback that she was creating more of these neurochemicals and hormones that were getting released when you have positive emotions. Mm -hmm. And, but here's what, where it comes to performance was it, it was about three months later, it was the first women's major. She was at, now it's called the ANA. <clears throat> and she said to us, she said, it, I can feel it. It feels different. I, I step up to a shot and I actually feel like I want to go into it versus mm. this, this dread. Well, that's yeah. because she'd actually been practicing gratitude and appreciation and positive with, with, emotions with memory box, too. with memory box yeah. too. So yeah. it's a performance enhancer. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course it enhances your life and your yeah. relationships and yeah. it was a big factor, you know, when Kevin Streeman as a young professional was a big factor where Eric <laughs> Utanagan, which should turn things around was a big factor. We can tell you so many players, yeah, yeah. but obviously very many of the real golfers too, to get yeah. sense of actually feeling gratitude for the game and themselves, but they have more fun and they play better. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it matters a lot to me because I, you know, after my player career ended for five, six years, I, I was playing golf, but I wasn't really enjoying it. And one of the things that one of the analogies that helped for me, and it might not help for everybody, but it was, you know, a, a strength coach that I, I read a lot about. He, he talks about it as a the park bench mentality versus the bus bench mentality. And, the you know, when you're sitting on a bus bench, you're kind of anxious, okay. you're you're tense, you're waiting for the bus and you're looking after it and yeah. versus the park bench where you're just sitting and yeah. relaxing and enjoying the nature. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and that actually helped me realize like, hey, I'm out here on the golf course. It's beautiful. It's great weather. You know, the park bench, park bench mentality kind of almost got me back into really enjoying the game again after playing, you know, 17 years of competitive golf. And so... I think that's, you know, just analogies like that. And maybe some people aren't going to perform in that environment, but maybe on average, that's a good, that's a good mentality to have. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we, we also do this thing, I'll just say, where they have to track their emotions through the round. And we use this grid. Mm. It's like, you know, four quadrants and they, they're measuring, or this is all subjective, of course, that they're kind of measuring internally their feeling of adrenaline, high or low. And mm. then that would be like the vertical axis of the grid. And then horizontal is positive emotions or negative emotions. So they're just tracking themselves through the round. After every hole. After yeah. every hole. Yeah. And, mm. you know, they're just putting little dots on this grid. So we want them to come, you know, finish the 18th hole and come off the round of golf with wherever their adrenaline is best for them, high or low, because they need to figure that out, you know, mm -hmm. arousal level but they have more positive emotions after the round than they had negative emotions, regardless of the score. 
Interesting. Because, you know, what happens is, you know, you're going along, everything's great, you're making pots, you're making pars, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then, bam, right? You have a triple bogey or whatever. And yeah. many can't get themselves back on track. They can't make the shift. So it's mm. always this having to shift your uh, response. Yeah, yeah. How, we'll shift gears here a little bit, how involved do you get technically when you coach players? You know, because we've talked a lot about all the other stuff. How involved do you get on the, in the golf swing and their technique? Well, it really depends from player to player. So our like yeah. technical background and knowledge is quite extensive. And it's like, you know, we're both technical teachers and they're yeah, yeah. longer than me. But we always have utmost respect for if they work with technical teachers. If they work yeah. with a technical teacher, we always honor respect that. But we ask a lot of questions about it because it's really good for us to know so we can then help them with the think box, play box, memory box. But we need to get a feeling for what they're doing. And then when we see how they play on the golf course, sometimes we need to communicate with the technical teachers if we see things happening there. Uh, because very often still in today's world, we don't think there are enough coaches observing what happens to the technique on the golf course. It's more what happens yeah. in the practice area. So we try to create synergy and that we're working together. But then we have a few players, both men and women on the professional side, that always wants our technical opinion as well. Mm. If you know, so it it depends on who they are. Yeah, I mean, very much so. Yeah. But I'd say then for the like the recreational or real golfer, we often first look at what swing can they actually do, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. the body swing connection. Yeah. Then have they had an assessment, and then you know after the assessment, how much, what are they willing to do? What do they want to do? You know, in terms of how they want to swing. So yeah. you know, which road are you going to go down? So it, it depends. But I would say for the real golfers, so much of it is around assessing what they can do, assessing what they want to do. And then yeah. sometimes just helping them find ways to land in their own swing so they can go play golf. Because some, yeah. some actually don't want to do the gym work. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they really don't. Or they go, I want to, but I don't have time to do it. So then yeah. they go, but I love golf. I just want to play golf. I only have this amount of time to play golf. So then yeah. we look at that through what we call balance, tempo and tension awareness and finding ways that they can make golf swings on the golf course that are good enough. Yeah. What they yeah. 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 So we, we found, like Lynn said, we need to check up a lot more what their intentional golf is and how much time they have available mm-hmm. to make sense out of all of this. Yeah. But yeah. also said, you know, of course, many comes to us because they know they're lacking the human skills. So like our assignment would be to up their their uh, competence level in the human skills. So of mm. course we we have a big focus there. And we've also mm. we have like this thing like first day of the golf school and we might see some obvious technical things happening but we have always learned to keep our mouth shut yeah keep our mouth shut well we have you know other teachers just observing us and they say i can't believe you haven't addressed this with them it's so obvious like with the grip or whatever so just hold on hold on a lot because we have over and over realized that we let them just learn what the playbox is all about and being more athletic and they get to calibrate a little bit more with tempo and tension. It's yeah. just amazing by the second day of the afternoon that the technical swing is improved by yeah. us keeping our mouth shut 
and yeah. letting them calibrate and learn some of these things. So we we realized that you need to get like a baseline level of this the human state in place to even know where your technique is at. But mm. just the technique before the human state is in any performance state, we we might focus on totally the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, I love uh, everything you, you're saying because and I think it's so important because uh, at the end of the day, golf is a game and 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 the result is is not about how a golf swing looks and and the aesthetics of the golf swing is, is not really correlated with with performance necessarily. And so we, we talk about this a lot, you know, because our coaching, you know, we have all the tech in the world. But we, we, we use metaphors, analogies, and external cues a lot more to have a not like a less invasive coaching philosophy, yes. right? Right. You know, Gabrielle Wolf was a, a huge influence on me as a coach. You know, she she started the research on attention and and basically proved through over years and years of research that the further away from the body we focus, the better we perform. Do you guys talk about that concept of yeah, attention but, and? But you know yeah. we do. And one thing I learned, it so much depends because if the focus on the body is more about position and more digital things, yeah, we hundred percent agree. The more you stay away from that, the better. Yeah. But when it comes to just a sense of sense of relaxed shoulders or sense of a smoothness in tempo. When, mm-hmm. when it's a sensory awareness, that can blend very well with the external of the target or whatever. Yeah. And with a player, sometimes we tell them you have 100% attention and like how much do you want to be internal and external? So we, in most of the research we've seen when they talk about it in golf, they only talk about it from having technical thoughts. We're not talking. That's right. We're talking about, can I be aware of balance? Can I be aware? I mean, those, so I think we need to separate if it's sensory sensory mm-hmm. attention or if it's more positiony detail yeah on the bottom no it makes sense i i think and when i when i asked this question to chris como he he had an interesting answer he said if someone if someone come it depends on the golfer if someone comes to me and they're uh, they want to play on the PGA tour but they're you know 18 and they they're shooting 74s and there's something dramatic like that needs to change there's a time of and place for very internal coaching where he will actually make significant changes and improvements that will take time and with more risk but 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 an external focus would be less risk but also potentially have diminishing returns for certain players. So I think that, uh, I think it's interesting what you said. I I saw the Chris Como episode that you guys did with him. And even when you talk about the shoulders, like you say, oily shoulders, you know, that's a feeling. That's a, that's an analogy that, that I think would categorize as, as a, not an internal cue. Well, but I, that's where well, it's true, but not true, because this is where I think we need to be careful. I'll give an example. So if someone says, OK, I'm not going to have any internal cues and they are all good. But mm-hmm. let's say they have two holes to go and they're leading this tournament. So yeah. Actually, their their tension, the body suddenly gets 30 percent tighter. Yeah. If that player doesn't have an internal awareness of the body, they can hit bad shots playing mm-hmm. the last few mm-hmm. minutes. So I, I find the play can't get enough of being 
learn to be aware of their own bodies <laughs> mm -hmm. of and they on a very deep level so they 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 can fine-tune themselves while they play because the body internally will change their mind their mind the thoughts will change the emotion will change the body will change so so i think it needs to differentiate if it's instruction or it's just actually being aware of the state of my my body yeah and a lot of that can be in the pre-shot routine right like where you prepare and then when you're in the play box you you kind of turn that off what, and maybe what, have what, have one feeling yeah to give an example with kevin stream finally won his first pda tour that because he'd been close to winning and exactly the same thing. He wasn't aware of that his strategy got higher and his tempo got a lot faster and grip mm. got tighter. So he would miss coming down the stretch. But yeah. then we had, you know, being able to do enough coaching, talk about the Kevin, like when you get close to winning, everybody change under pressure. Your tendency is to swing too fast and especially grip pressure get too tight. So when he walked off 17 green to 18th tee in Tampa, Mm -hmm. He finally caught himself and said, Kevin, here you are. So he internally... I, here's what you usually do. Yeah. So it was in the <laughs> preparation, but right. he had yeah. play box sensation to be swinging a 30% of full tempo. And his grip pressure on a scale of one to five yes. be, for him, feel like a two. Yeah. So he, he yeah. had to bring that, but it's just a feeling, you know, of course with target correction and he, he just smoked it. And on TV watching it looked like 95% full tempo. Yeah, you know, yeah. And he finally called afterwards and finally, finally did it. I could feel it and I managed myself. Mm. And so, so, but he had to have that internal awareness to self-regulate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, and I, you know, and I think when we talk about this a lot, it's just, I think it's golf instruction uh, in general is is very internal and and when you're working on things in your golf swing and you're thinking about your left straight arm and things like that then overall it, it seems detrimental to the game yes very much so. exactly so that's you see yeah. how they're different internal ones 100 percent. i yeah. think we need to have a little different distinguished words with that yeah with yeah. internal awareness what we actually mean yeah <laughs> and not, yeah. not kill the the important essence of it. Yeah. 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 Do you, do, you, yeah. do you see that it's still, you know, with the students that come and see you guys, are, are a lot of them in their head when it comes to over the ball, you know, in their play box, they're, yes. they're thinking, yeah. thinking. Well, yeah, you put it really well. They're in their head. We call them their neck ups. And we actually <laughs> want them to get in their body. So we so say they, <laughs> they have two think boxes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also, yeah. And is that because of instruction, uh, you think, or is that because is that that's the default for golfers? Well, uh, we think wow. it's too. A major thing is is our own profession, and what is talked about, you know, re, you know, in magazines and in social yeah. media and television is totally that. And also that it's not a reactionary sport. So the ball is sitting there waiting for me, mm -hmm. and if the more intellectually developed you are, it's easy to want to think through the thing. Yeah. And you can't do that in tennis and basketball because it's like all moving. So it's a, yeah. you think it's a combination of those two. Yeah. But you can't do it with yourself, without yourself. So <laughs> you learn to manage yourself. Yeah. It's hard to hack it. It's hard to hack the game of golf without, without working on yourself and your own. Yeah. It's nearly impossible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Um, 
you know, I'm going to shift gears here again and, and, you know, we'll stay on the topic of coaching, you know, because you, I mean, you, you are two of the, the most decorated golf coaches in the world. Why, how can we get more women into coaching? Yes, that's a good one. That's a great question. <laughs> well, um, so, so, so let me, let me preface it, you know, just, we have a big team of full-time, everybody's full-time at UGP and we have, you know, 16, 17 full-time coaches and we have one woman and she's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and, and she, she's incredible. Right. But out of a hundred applicants, we have a lot of people that want to come work for us. Yeah. No, you may, At you know, best, I, I, one 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 is yeah. one is uh, one out of a hundred is as a woman. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll just say we were on a call last week, and it was a you know call with lots of other golf professionals. And the person uh, directing the call kept talking about a couple of of teachers that had players at the Players Championship, and we were on the call. And we were coaching players at the Players Championship, but yeah. we were not recognized as such. And yeah. the, the recognition of even the work we have done still sometimes is really low. And I'm not saying that to complain or anything. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's a reality that we can right. just live in that world where, oh, and they'll say, yeah, you you two are the mental ladies. Like, we're not on our work. I will get diminished to a... Um, yeah, a label kind of thing. But and I think I hear from a lot of young women uh, entering the golf business and wanting to be golf coaches, that unless they can do the technical part, as well as their male counterparts, then they're not even they can't even be at the table. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, they, you know, I think it's a bigger hurdle, they need to be really good at the technical pieces and know all the technology. And then also we hope that they would be interested in the human aspect of, you know, golf performance. Yeah, I mean, we're 100% convinced that the future of the game when we have every club in the world has male and female type coaches, it's always going to be the best because together yeah. we can create more than, you know, any single gender we need to do. So, but it's a lot to, and I used to do this in Sweden because we didn't have a lot of female coaches, but we focused a lot on it. So for about a decade, we had lots of them, but we started asking much more, how would things need to be different for you wanting to do it? Yeah. And I need, we need to start asking them because there's a reason. There's something about the environment or attitude or you know, comments we get that can make you feel more uncomfortable or it's not as much joy to do it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it needs to start with. I've, even as I start used to talk to Swedish players like, how would practice need to be different for you to have more fun doing it? And actually listen to that. And we changed the mm-hmm. whole culture about how we went, to, went about things and how we did training camps. So I think yeah. we need to listen more. And when the future of the game that we know, it, it's, it's going to go towards the technical and human going together because it's the only way it could go in the future. Because the more yeah. we research it, the more true it's going to become. And, right. I, and I think with, you know, Still, traditionally, men and women might have a little different focus. And I think when we just ask more female coaches, how do you want it and what you're interested in, we can keep it growing. But I, I think need to ask that question because, yeah, you know, we, we have been fortunate, you know, growing up, we've always been in the male dominant environment. But right. I said, maybe we think because we both have brothers and yeah. both have had mothers have always told us you can do anything your brothers can do. <laughs> Yeah. And so we've been 
a little blessed with with that but we still know it's like not easy many times when you know we've done a lot of things and we just forgot them to even be mentioned it's, yeah. it's there's still an attitude around it that needs to change but i think the main thing is asking a lot more of the female who coming in how can we do this differently or if you're interested in human growth and performance and golf Mm -hmm. and, and everybody actually listening to that. Yeah, but yeah. I think there's still an implicit bias or I don't know if it's bias so much, but I think there's an implicit feeling that many young women have when they come in and they're like, oh, this is still very male dominated. Yeah. yeah. You know, so they, they know they're going to have to put in extra work. You know, they're going to have to be better than the best. So, and, yeah. but we've noticed, I mean, the later generation we feel that comes to us, they don't care if we're men or women. They just want good coaching. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. but while X true. amount of years ago, it was about me, like, you know, we've been to, to PGA tour events that, you know, volunteers and checking and everybody say, you can't come in here because they presume we are a mom or something. <laughs> or yeah. Yeah, to say, no, 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 this is only for coaches. I mean, <laughs> it happens to us, it happens to us last year, last time, because. Wow. And, yeah. you know, I had yeah. to show them the badge. Oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Oh, you're a coach. <laughs> okay. Yes. So yes. What, what do you coach? I mean, it's, yeah. it's still happening all the time. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. And I have to say, we were at a dinner party <laughs> last year in Sweden. Yeah. And I remember there was this, you know, He's a club guy, he's a you know, club golfer. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I just don't think women can teach male tour players. Is he sitting at the dinner table with us? Wow. <laughs> and we're like, but we have. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like, but it's just, that's yeah. what I mean. It's very, there's yeah. still a big blind spot there. So I, I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, we just need, and we just want, you know, more and more coaches stay open and just looking, how do we create the environment for it to be really fun and we together can make something spectacularly good happen for the game with that yeah. attitude yeah you know? i think yeah. the future yeah. is there will be a lot more women coaches yeah yeah, yeah we have it, to change yeah it has to change yeah and i think we have to change as an industry right like we i asked this kind of question to mooney he who, who's uh, played at usc and yeah. and she was on the podcast and i think she her answer was incredible she she said well after you know, because we hire a lot of ex-college players, you know, because, yeah. you know, they're great players and they, they want to get into coaching and we can train them. And she said, well, it's just not an attractive profession for, for a, a, a college player, you know, that just graduated. They would rather just go work for BuzzFeed because it's more exciting, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's, that's the, that's, un, you know, uncomfortable truth, right? Like this... Right. The PGA and this industry has been male dominant forever, yeah. and uh, the question is: is you know how do we change this? We wouldn't have been able to hire Erica if I didn't invite her college team to come for a tour at UGP, my old school where I played. And she, when she saw the environment, she got inspired and she wanted to come work for us. But she didn't apply to come work for us, yeah. right? So. So that's what we're, where we have to be much more proactive and, and make it an incredible career, not just a job and a stepping stone, but right like a career that's actually something that that great golfers want to do for a living. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. I think what, what all of you do is so awesome because when you are explicit about the values and belief that everybody on the team needs to live, that that yeah. is inclusive enough. And, uh, exactly. yeah. and and that becomes really, really important. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the diversity seems to be no problem. Like we, you know, we well, have people just, from all over the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But gender is is yeah, gender is unfortunately you know. And I think what you said it right. Like we have to start to listen more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, listen and actually figure out why why don't they want to work yeah. and so, so I, uh, I just golf. just to give an example there so as i said way back started asking even the swedish players of the girls team and this is when annika sörlstad was on the girls team and all of that and mm -hmm. i kept asking them because i still and they asked them how how would you want to do different and annika including the other one said yeah but here we we want to have more like fun things during training camp so we want to have more you know, games and team things and all of that. And I know they all super disliked having to send in all the statistics and scoring average and practice plans and all that. They did it, but they, they never liked it. But yeah. they wanted more of the emotional feeling and experience of being together. So yeah. so we just started experimenting, shifting. We, you know, we still had all the practice we wanted technically on human what well, we didn't call it human skills at that time, but mm. but then we just created more camaraderie and more togetherness in all kinds of different ways. And it was just amazing to see the the more happy faces, the growth that couldn't wait for the next day to start and and what happened with that. So even me as a female coach had to ask this younger generation and listen to them and yeah. put it all together. And it was just like so cool to see. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you guys have anything that you want to add before we, we wrap up today? Oh, well, we'd love to do this again. I know. The question <laughs> yeah, was... Your questions and yeah. the conversations, Leo, are at a different level. It's really, yeah, it's really, really, really it's inspiring awesome. for us. Thank because, you. you know, all what, as, as you said several times, we've done this for a while and we are still so passionate about it, but we, we just want to create a bigger, bigger synergy among more people in the golfing world to grow the game. So, I mean, that's mm -hmm. another thing. Instead of competition, we want to find more synergy <laughs> and, yeah. and just communicating with you that's what you feel like how can we grow this together yeah and, you know and learn and share and make awesome stuff happen yeah. we think yeah, it's yeah. really important yeah and that's another thing we you know with our culture is we have no secrets we have i mean we there's nothing that we're doing special we just care a lot we care about what we do we work really hard and we 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 want to create a community of golfers and we have no egos like that's why i think it's so important f for everyone to work together yeah. and i you know golf coaches i think traditionally especially in america it's very competitive yeah. and it's all about i mean i can't go to a local driving range and coach my wife if if i want to because yeah. within a minute the local pro will walk you can't yeah. teach her yeah you know, so that's it's very protective. It's you know, and so I think we have to work together more to make it more inclusive and 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 realize that look, this is a great game. Let's just enjoy it together. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't agree so, more. Yeah, yeah. So more. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. It was a it was a true honor to have you guys on, and keep fighting the good fight because we're we're rooting for you. Okay, uh, and thanks. we are rooting for you guys. Yeah, too. you guys too. Yeah, keep doing good things.